Hello and welcome to Climate Cheesecake. I'm Tien and I'm a sustainability professional and also science communicator behind the Instagram account The Weird and Wow, where I use visuals to make climate information accessible. Climate Cheesecake is brought to you by the Cheesecake Collective and powered by Artwave Studio. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a positive review on your platform of choice. Sanka, so I actually have a small announcement or interesting announcement to make. Oh, okay. Which is that I am going to COP27 this year. COP27 what? COP27. Do you know what's COP27? Apa ini? What's that? So, okay. Let me, let me give you a bit of history. So, COP27, um, this year, the number just means the year, I guess it's just in chronological order of how COPs happen. Um, but there is a very big climate change conference happening in November this year. And it's colloquially known as COP27. And COP stands for Conference of the Parties. And they're actually the supreme decision-making body of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Yes. There we go. The acronym is UNFCCC. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, I remember every time I talk about COP to like my partner, he'll be like, oh, is it you're going to Copenhagen? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I attribute that to school textbooks not teaching us about international conventions. Which yeah, is like, like honestly, uh, where is COP? 27 being held, I have no idea. This year? Yeah. So, this year is being held in Egypt. Oh, And every year, they, I guess they hold it in different countries. So, some, last year was in Glasgow. I can't remember where the previous oh, year. Oh, uh, Glasgow, that's where they signed that land use uh, and forest yeah. uh, agreement, right? Yes, where they correct. pledged to stop deforestation. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yes. So, I guess, for me, I've always felt the sense of disconnection from these like global uh, conferences, right? Because mm-hmm. it, to me, is, it just seems like a bunch of politicians and policymakers are going to some fancy retreat and then they're making decisions about how the world is going to change. And uh, I don't really feel like I ever had a say in that kind of a decision-making yeah. process. Right? Is that actually how it is? I mean, have you been for COP before? I've never. So never. this okay. is my first COP. Mazel tov. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but <laughs> I but I can relate because... I feel that even as I'm preparing to go to COP, I don't know enough of the history, the politics, and everything that has gone before me. Because like you say, it feels like a big party that everyone goes to and be like, oh my gosh, climate change. Yeah, and then we just agree to stop deforestation, which is great, but I mean, yeah, like how am I supposed to? like? For me, is that enough of a assurance that we're just going to stop deforestation yeah. yeah so interestingly what I have been learning at least in trying to follow these things and trying to make it accessible um, the thing like the deforestation I guess it was a pledge or, or ch- yeah. agreement of some sort and there was one also on halting coal use yeah. those were considered side events in that it wasn't on the main agenda of the COP and the COP I mean, what I've also learned is when they go for these meetings, they actually agree on certain texts. So they have articles 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and so on. And all these texts refer to different things that com- uh, countries would actually have to agree on um, in terms of combating climate change. Mm-hmm. And the key task for COP is really to review national communications and emissions inventories. What does that mean? That, summit, that parties submit. So... To me, I see that as countries actually get to submit targets on like 
emissions reductions that they think that they can meet and communicate that. And that's what is also called NDCs, which can you guess what NDCs are? Non-disclosure companies. That's the worst guess possible. I don't know. What's NDC? (laughs) But yeah, NDCs are known as nationally determined. Determined contributions. Yes, Yes, nationally determined. Yeah, yeah, okay, I've heard that one. Sorry, yeah. 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 So it's exactly that, right? It's nationally determined means you own self say what you can own self do. Like, I mean, it's almost like me trying to get fit, right? And then I, I claim okay, one week I can realistically do two push-ups and um, five sit-ups. And who's to argue like... Weak, Lamar. Yeah. Okay. No, so that's the thing. It's subjective to your own context and your own capabilities. Yeah, yeah. But the text in that, you know, in the Paris Agreement at least, mm. does state that, you know, your NDC should be what you deem the highest or most ambitious that you can get at that point in time. Mm. So the Paris Agreement was actually signed at COP21 COP in 21. Paris. Okay. And that is known as the Paris Agreement, but that took place in the year 2015. 2015. The timelines and the numbers trip me up all the time. It's like the MCU. <laughs> yeah. Everything all over the place. Or like the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, okay. This it is sounds... the climate version. So you're saying this NB... NBDs, no big deals. These uh, <laughs> <laughs> nationally determined contributions, NDCs, NDCs yeah. right? Um, these NDCs are self-imposed, right? Are so self-imposed. Yes. So if I, so let's say I'm the 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 people from Singapore going mm-hmm. right, I'll have to say this is the amount of reduction that I choose to, that yeah. I want to uh, work towards. Yeah, isn't that a bit like own self check on self? Like really, like you're holding yourself. Yeah. Then how do you trust? 200 plus plus world governments to hold themselves accountable to that. Yeah. So in terms of trying to put the structures in place to make sure that these things don't get abused or that these things are actually what countries say they can do, um, I will not go into details in this episode because we we only have like 15 to 20 minutes. But there are mechanisms to ensure that whatever that you're going to say or commit to is reasonable and that it's something that you would also achieve. Right. But of course, there are a lot of politics. And the reason why I say this is going to be a super long episode if I go into that, yeah. is because there's also a lot of history starting from COP1 all the way to now uh-huh. on how it all started. And let's just take it on a separate episode because today sure. I wanted to focus on COP27 mainly because the Singapore government just released a public consultation to, to ask for feedback on a new NDC target or a revised NDC target that Mm. we want to submit this year. And yeah, so this, like I said, NDC nationally determined, right? Mm -hmm. Um, As much as countries come out and say like, okay, I want to reduce this one by 2030 or reduce that one by 2050. Mm. There are actually a lot of discussions on what kind of common timeframes different countries should be taking. And I'm... Yeah, you know, these things, because some country can say 2040, 2050, or 2010, whatever, right? Yeah. But what happens is, you know, people always hear, we need to reach net zero by 2050. Yes. Or half our emissions by 2030. But yes. where the heck did that rule-ish come, come from? from? Yeah. 
And when people ask me that, I also have to reference this other group called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, mm. also known as the IPCC. IPCC. Yeah. Yes. And they are a separate group from the UN because they are technically just a scientific body made up of climate scientists who do research mm -hmm. on these things and present a neutral paper on what, you know, what they're supposed to research on when it comes to climate change um, models and the real climate science. Yep. And it was the special report on the 1.5 degrees. Mm -hmm. That came out last that year, came right? Out. I don't know whether last year or some time ago. I remember using it in my classes last year. On the SR15? Yes. I think that's called the SR15. Yeah, yeah, SR15. Yeah. So that was the one where they talked about how if... So in Paris Agreement, um, there was actually... P the parties that signed the Paris Agreement and agreed to it, there was actually uh, an intention at least for countries to try to limit global warming um, to two degrees mm. from pre-industrial times and really pursue, uh, I guess, global warming to less than 1.5 degrees. Mm. And then when the IPCC did that special report on 1.5, they found out that to get there, all countries must commit to reducing their 2030 emissions by 45% or 50% in that sense. That's mad. Yeah, yeah, and then reaching net zero in 2050. So that was how that whole phrase came about. It's because scientists came out to say, based on our modeling, this is how what's going to get us there. Mm -hmm. And this was, like you said, some time ago already. Yeah. And to me, the fact that we're considering, Singapore is considering net zero by 2050 now. That's what the poll is for, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what the poll is for. Yeah. Because our current target is actually a bit far from this IPCC's like, recommendation. Yeah, recommendation. Yeah. So, recommendation for 2030 is to halve it, right? Yeah. But Singapore's ambition is to peak our emissions, meaning this is the most That's the max we'll maintain there. Yeah. yeah. And that is at 65 million tons. Okay, these numbers probably may not make sense at all. So yeah. I'm just not going to, I'm just going to skip the numbers. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And then we recently updated that goal to say, okay, we want to reach net zero by or around Mid-century, right? Yeah, mid-century. Mid-century, mid yes. yes. So what, what the heck? It's very fluffy. Yeah. yeah. What does mid-century mean to you? Could mean anything from 2040 to 2060, which is, I think, a whole generation, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think, I think like, when you set a goal, like, you know, they teach us in school, right? Must put smart goals, must be time-based, must be relevant. I, I, think, I think we should embody that in all of our national goals as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's what the consultation is for. And they asked us, you know, I remember the first question saying, do you think us reaching net zero by 2050 is, there's a Goldilocks option. Uh. Yeah. Just right, uh, too ambitious or not ambitious enough. Right. And what do you think? I don't have, as an environmentalist, I struggle with it. Yeah. Because to me, it's uh, like, I don't even know what the trade-offs are if I say just right mm -hmm. or if I say insufficient. Because the main problem for me with the concept was there wasn't enough context on what the considerations are for us to be able to reach something like that. And and this shouldn't really be something that's determined in the like court of public opinion, right? Like Yeah. It should be scientifically it should informed. Be, yeah, yes, correct. Yeah. And these things should be, to me at least, communicated to the public to say this is what we're considering and this is how you should be thinking about what you're gonna click in those three options. And that's because when we set a target like this in our NDC, 
Um, what the NDCs really cover are land-based emissions. So that means anything that comes off our Singaporean land, mm. so your industries, transport, housing, land use change, yep. things like that. There is an inventory that, you know, I guess government agencies will actually track like they what's our emission yep. this year. And they will have to do projections to say, okay, what can we meaningfully reach yep. in 2030 or 2050, right? Yeah. And this doesn't account for things like aviation, mm. our trade, like export imports. But that's like most of it, right? Yeah, and maritime, correct. Yeah. It's most of it. So most of it isn't even accounted for. And we're kind of aiming to hit net zero on a minority of our emissions? Yeah, I would say that that's because trade, um, trade, maritime and aviation are transboundary. Yeah. It's very hard to account for who should take responsibility for those emissions. Is it the receiver or the the, the producer? The dispatcher. Yeah, yeah the yeah. dispatcher in that yeah. sense. And there are other organizations that look at it, like your international maritime organizations. And in for the aviation, it's ICAO. I forgot what it's called, mm. but you can Google that. So in that sense, there is some coverage, but that means that our net zero goal concerns industry, household, transport, and that affects our daily bread and butter. La. Like, mm. look at electricity prices now. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And imagine things about like, okay, what does this mean, this mean if we want to hit net zero by 2050? Are there electricity tariffs? Uh, does that mean we have to radically change the way we, like private transport works? How are we going to have EVs and things like that? So, I mean, that kind of brings to mind the recent carbon tax amendments that were announced, right? So initially, they wanted to do carbon tax $5 per tonne of carbon emitted. Yeah. Right. Then, uh, what's the latest proposal or the latest amendment to that? The latest proposal, I know the next one is they want to hit $40. Okay, so it's a stepped mechanism, I guess. Yeah. They want to hit $40 sometime and then increase it eventually to $50 to $70. Right. That's a huge jump from $5. Uh, so from 2024, large emitters in Singapore will have to pay $25 for every ton of CO2 equivalent that is emitted. Uh, and then I think they will continue stepping it up till... Let me see if I can find it. $45 in 2026 and 2027 and between $50 and $80 by 2030. Yeah. So this was this is a big change because initially they wanted to raise it to $10 to $15 yeah. Per ton of carbon emitted in twenty a few years ago, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, do you think that these NDCs that we are kind of uh, mm-hmm. promising to uphold our end of, uh, do you think that is also driving uh, policy changes locally, like the carbon tax? Yeah, yeah. and I think it rightly should because yeah. ultimately these companies that are so polluted or emissions intensive contribute to what we, I mean, I guess our emissions reductions or whether our emission reduction is possible or not possible. But then at that, at the same time, we also know that this might have implications to how much we are paying for electricity. Yeah, how because, much of that yeah. is, a, it becomes a personal responsibility Correct. rather than a... Corporate responsibility. Because most of the emissions in Singapore are corporate emissions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think the dilemma for me is also the fact that 
we have a global responsibility to respond to climate change. And I remember that for the IPCC, when they talked about limiting warming of one like 1.5 degrees, right? Uh, the co-chair of the IPCC Working Group 3, Jim Skea, I think he said that limiting warming to 1.5 degrees is possible within the laws of chemistry and physics, but doing so will require unprecedented changes. And when we think about something like that, I always worry about what unprecedented change looks. And the longer we put off the unprecedented change, the more jarring that change will look like. Because if we're not preparing for an electric vehicle infrastructure, this means suddenly we might have to do it because we suddenly need to meet a target that we previously did not plan for. Yeah. And But the other scary thing is if we don't do that or if we don't prepare ourselves for that, for emissions reductions, the pace of warming currently at present, what the models say is that we would reach 1.5 degrees already around 2040 because in business as usual conditions. That's scary as hell. Yeah. yeah. And I believe we're currently at 1.1 degrees and we've seen how that's ravaged the world in so many places. Yes. In rainfall, droughts, wildfires. Basically every other episode of this podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So, in trying to achieve mitigation objectives, I think watching what happens at COP27, as difficult it is to understand the legalese and the politics that go into it, the outcomes still matter because yeah. it whatever they decide there does affect our daily lives. Then how can... Because if something like that is going to have such a profound impact on my daily lives, right? Yeah. On these bread and butter issues. How can I have more of a say in you know, our NDC, for example? Mm-hmm. Like how can I... Or if, if, say, I'm an average person on the street, how would I then make some sort of contribution towards mm-hmm. like where Singapore sets its NDC? Yeah. I think it's very cheesy for me to say participate in the public consultation. Yikes. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, which I think people Cringe. should. Yeah, but to me, is the consultation is so short. It's three weeks. Um, it really should be longer because there's yeah. just so much we don't understand. I think trying to even understand these things and recognize what that means to your daily life will be very important, which is why a lot of environmentalists in Singapore are also fighting for what we call a just and green transition. Yeah. Because we want to make sure that in going green, we're not leaving people behind. We're not hurting low-income families. Class, yeah. yeah, the working class or people who are actually working in emissions-intensive industries if we're pivoting, how are we they making sure? They need to be sure? retrained. Yeah, and, they need to be retrained. And yeah. so many of our jobs will have to take into account sustainability. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So in trying to understand all the different facets, it's very key in listening to the outcomes of COP27 yeah. and then just keeping, like, really just keeping a pulse on all these happenings and then slowly piecing it together because I feel that if we don't pay attention to it, um, we might get a shock when things change and we are not ready to adapt. Yeah, and that really like fuels my anxiety because like for for this to work, everything has to go according to plan. Yes. And everything is not going to go according to plan. We are almost certainly, I think, we're almost certainly going to overshoot 1.5. Yeah, Yeah. but I would say that the will for radical change is possible or like very crazy change is possible because we've seen it done for COVID. We've seen how people respond. It It can be done when it it needs to be done. Yeah, and when you see something as urgent, so it's not impossible. Yeah. It's just whether we want to do it. It's, yeah, that that sudden change is what scares me. Yeah. Yeah. Wish we could end on a bright note, but... (laughs) (laughs) 
Come back for part two. <laughs> so the public consultation on our net zero target is still on. Um, we'll add all the necessary links in our on our social media. So please check that out. And we'll also be referencing uh, materials provided by other environmental groups who have put in a lot of hard work. So yeah, make your voice heard. Um, we have a short timeline, but it still matters anyway. Climate Cheesecake is brought to you by the Cheesecake Collective and powered by Artwave Studio. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Climate Cheesecake and go follow us. To find out more about the references mentioned in this podcast, check out Climate Cheesecake on Instagram and additional links and references can be found on artwave.studio slash climate cheesecake.